This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. With me in the studio today is Themi Mina, former federal prosecutor. Welcome, Themi Mina. Good morning, Cynthia. Well, this week, the Judiciary Committee of the House and Senate received a four-page letter from the Attorney General, William Barr, advising them of his principal conclusions about the Russia investigation, namely that the, well, the allegations are that the president um, uh, may have conspired with the Russian government in trying to interfere with the election, and the second issue was the obstruction of justice. So just uh, my first question to you is, what's your overall take on the dichotomy of Mueller's analysis of the two charges? Why did he reach a conclusion with respect to the um, conspiracy charge, or collusion, as the president would say, but not reach a conclusion with respect to obstruction? Well, I think with respect to the collusion prong of his investigation, he had compelling evidence that allowed him to reach a conclusion definitively. Uh, less so with the obstruction issues. And I think uh, Attorney General Barr's letter to Congress pointed out a couple of reasons why. Obstruction is uh, oftentimes in the eye of the beholder. And um, when you've got a, a potential target or a subject of such an investigation, the fact that there is compelling evidence that he or she has not committed the underlying crime is often uh, uh, dispositive on the issue of motive. Do you think there's anything to read between the lines that Bob Mueller concluded, or at least according to William Barr's description of Bob Mueller's report, that he said this is not an indictment necessarily of the president, but it's not an exoneration either? Do you think there's some message there from people in, in your work? Yeah, I think the message is that he's telling the American people through their elected representatives that uh, we've got definitive uh, evidence of, coll of uh, uh, no collusion, uh, but that the Russian government attempted to collude, and we don't have definitive evidence on uh, the question of obstruction. So while we can conclude uh, 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 something with regard to the first, we can't with regard to the second. And that means I can't exonerate somebody. I can't give somebody a clean bill of health um, because of the nature of the evidence. It's that simple. What is the standard that the Attorney General's office uses to determine whether or not to move forward with a prosecution once they receive a special counsel report? And I should just tell listeners that you are a former uh, former employee. You worked, right, at the Attorney General's office in Washington, D.C.? I was an assistant United States attorney for the District of Columbia, and then subsequent to that, uh, assistant United States attorney for the District of Maine. So I have... Uh, uh, over 12 years of experience as a federal prosecutor. So I can tell you, I can answer your question. A prosecutor has to have a good faith basis to believe that he can secure conviction um, based on proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, uh, Adam Schiff is a Democrat, and the newspapers today uh, are reporting that, in his view, there still is evidence to prosecute. So is it the kind of thing that reasonable people can disagree about, you know, what evidence uh, there is and, and what the prosecutorial, you know, decision yes. is? Yes, of course. And, and, and remember, Representative Schiff is a, a member of Congress, and uh, they have their own constitutional duties, so we can talk about that. Um, uh, the, they're juxtaposed against the Department of Justice standards, and they're different, um, but they're no less important. So that's an interesting question or an interesting issue that you raise. So people, I think, have given a sigh of relief that the Mueller report is is out, or at least the summary of it. We, we're going to fight about whether or not the public's going to 
uh, see it, and that's a whole other argument. But th- it's done. But uh, I think what you just suggested is that Congress, that was the uh, executive branch investigation of the allegations, but there still could be ongoing investigations by the Congress into the same issues of collusion and obstruction? Uh, Wholly appropriate. Uh, Remember, the regulations that govern the special counsel's appointment and service is uh, is designed, are designed to mirror the Constitution. Uh, The executive and only the executive can prosecute. So you've got a situation where the Constitution is tested when the allegations are made against the chief executive himself or herself. The regulations designed to allow the special counsel's office to make a determination one way or the other and then make a report to Congress. And the reason for that is that Congress has an independent duty. If you, Remember now, the, the department's policy is you can't indict a sitting president. Right. Remember we talked about that yes, once before? Yes, I do. So how can you have that and still have a system of government where the president is not above the law? The answer is this. You can't uh, uh, deny Congress its constitutional prerogative to investigate the president and, if appropriate, to impeach him. Well, I thought it was interesting that the uh, attorney general's letter explicitly referenced the fact that they're not weighing in on or, or commenting on the policy about the indictment the indictment of a sitting president, which which was kind of, I don't know, I thought interesting. But here's my question. According to the Attorney General, um, Bob Mueller's team, um, you know, had an army of uh, like 19 lawyers, uh, 40 FBI agents. They interviewed 500 witnesses. There was like 500 subpoenas. Maybe these numbers are wrong, but you get my drift. How could any more information be forthcoming? I mean, is there an argument to be made that any investigation by Congress is just duplicative and done for political purposes only? Well, no, because there are other issues beyond the scope of the uh, the special counsel's uh, charge. Uh, remember now, the limits of the special counsel's investigation were to study whether or not um, the Trump campaign or persons working with it had colluded with the Russian government to, to impact the, uh, the uh, presidential election. There are other issues out there, and we can talk about them. There are four other grand juries that are hearing evidence on unrelated um, issues, and um, the Congress also has an interest in this emoluments issue that is being litigated in the federal courts. And has a connection with Maine because of LePage staying at the hotel? Is that the uh, case? That's that, the case, yeah. correct. <laughs> okay, well, that's a, that's an interesting. So let's talk for a minute about the grand jury and the connection between a, a grand jury and a federal prosecutor's decision to bring a bring a case. Um, the special counsel, there was a grand jury. There, there were several, yes. Okay, what is the reason why grand jury proceedings need to be kind of clouded in confidentiality or secrecy? What Very is good question, and, a, and, and one uh, that's often misunderstood by the general public. The grand jury system predates the founding of our country, and uh, the, the, the founding fathers of the country had concerns about um, crimes being alleged and discussed uh, uh, and um, made public eventually without some sort of regularity in their proceedings. And they determined that grand jury investigations should be secret, okay? And the various judiciary acts that have followed all were consistent in that. They, the government is the only 
party to those proceedings. And they need to be conducted in secret, lest the privacy and reputations of people get ruined, uh, among other things. That's why we have a rule in this federal system. It's Rule 6E, and you hear that number floating around often, and it's sacrosanct. As a federal prosecutor, I could not even disclose evidence that I took in the grand jury, testimony I took in the grand jury to an FBI agent without uh, getting assurances that it would be no further disclosures and disclosing my disclosure to the United States District Court on a regular basis. Um, now, the court can order subsequent disclosures for various reasons, including matters involving uh, the uh, intelligence and counterintelligence of uh, operations of foreign governments. And there's a, there's a catch-all. You can disclose it to any other person if it's in the interest of justice. Can Congress mandate the disclosure? No. Oh, that's interesting. No. And that's something, that's where the, the rubber hits the road. Congress, if it wants the full report, uh, Mr. Barr, the Attorney General, has so far done everything according to Hoyle. He's What's issued, Hoyle? It's uh, according to the rules. Yes. Okay, and the rules are very clear. He's to issue a brief report summarizing the special counsel's report to him. And this was designed with a reason. So we don't have a repeat of the circumstances that surrounded Mr. Starr's investigation of Bill Clinton, where the lurid details of his relationship with the White House interim became the focus of a congressional food fight. Um, so it's a brief report. Now Mr. Barr is obligated to look at the entire report, which will take some time, in fairness, and to extract from it information that's subject to grand jury secrecy. That includes testimony of witnesses before the grand jury and documents that were secured by the grand jury. It does not include in, uh, investigative interviews that were undertaken by the staff of the, of the special counsel's office or information they got through means other than the grand jury. So there, I, I think there'll be a substantial amount of information released to Congress. Then, if Mr. Schiff and the other Judiciary Committee members are not satisfied with that, they may elect to issue subpoenas. And then the matter will be brought to court. I think that the courts will be very careful about wholesale disclosures of grand jury information, uh, particularly if there's no compelling justification for it. Now, conservatives have been critical of this whole process because they feel that the Steele dossier, dossier, the, do the document that allegedly started this whole thing that was created by this fusion GPS outfit connected with the Clinton campaign. So the conservatives have been hammering away at this investigation is a witch hunt. Um, there, there should be uh, an investigation into Jim Comey and the use of the FBI by this, in their view, political propaganda. What do you say to that? Well, it's very unfortunate that Mr. Comey um, took the steps he did during the summer and fall of 2016. I know from my conversations with other former prosecutors and um, um, persons involved in, in this business that we're in that it was not consistent with the traditions and policies of the Department of Justice for him to issue those statements. Do you see any legal jeopardy for him? No. I don't. I don't. But I think I think there's been some harm done, and uh, you know you can't argue in one hand that these uh, that the prosecutor is not to comment on the evidence. But when you have the chief of police, and that's what he was at the time, he was the director of the FBI, commenting about what was prosecutable and not prosecutable with respect to Mrs. Clinton, that 
cause some problems. And then for him to compound the problem with subsequent disclosures that he said he felt compelled to make, uh, I think were very unfortunate. Now, a, a lot has been made of the fact that there were no leaks from the special counsel's investigation, that Bob Mueller ran a tight ship. In your view, does that mean anything? Is that a, a fact that it, is, it is somehow elevated? Why? It does. Well, when we spoke a year ago, okay, you remember what we were concerned about? We were concerned about whether he was even going to be allowed to do his investigation, whether Rosenstein was going to be fired, whether Sessions was going to be fired, whether President Trump was going to appoint a, you know, a toady to do his bidding, and was the special counsel's investigation going to go forward at all? Well, a year later, what have we got? He's done his work. He did it in in secrecy, and he did it in, 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 in the ways that conform with the traditions of the Department of Justice. He's issued a report that doesn't mince words about the fact that the Russians tried to infiltrate our elections, a very serious problem. We're on alert for that now. No one's going to get away with that again if they're caught. Let's hope. And, well, I'll put it this way, our counterintelligence forces are now attuned to this problem, and uh, we're not going to allow it to happen, in my opinion. And the investigation's concluded. Uh, it was a good day for the president with respect to collusion, but it's by no means the end of his legal problems. Why? Why do you? What do you suggest are the, are the signs that there are legal problems uh, down the road? Well, there are four, as I count them, four oh, other the grand cases. juries that are federal grand juries that are looking into various sundry problems involving Mr. Trump and his organizations, the Southern District of New York, the District of Columbia. Now, none... Could any of these other prosecutors be looking at the same charges? Not directly, no. Okay, because, I mean, there is sort of a double jeopardy thing, right? Or it, has he been, if there's a decision by the United States Attorney General to not prosecute, does that kind of make it, uh, that's the law of the land and no other federal prosecutor can make, bring charges? Well, with respect to that specific charge, crime, crime okay. yes. But remember now, the special counsel's uh, authority was limited. So uh, Mr. Mueller, uh, I presume, has referred various matters that have come to his attention to the United States attorneys in the other three districts, the Eastern District of Virginia, uh, District of Columbia, and the uh, Southern District of New York, and now the Manhattan DA, which is a very powerful state of New York prosecutor, uh, prosecutor um, has um, made public the fact that he's looking into uh, allegations involving the finances of the Trump Organization and various other related um, issues involving the Trump Foundation and possibly tax fraud and hush money involving uh, Mr. Michael Cohen. Now, why is it that the federal prosecutor in the Southern District of New York is powerful, is more powerful than, say, others? Is it because a certain number of resources in the office or just the, the power level of the people he indicts? The Southern District of New York has been uh, referred to various times by um, people in, in my line of work as a sovereign district in, uh, of New York because it has a tremendous reputation of taking on big cases, as does the District of Columbia. Um, those U.S. attorneys have considerably more resources than um, their counterparts in the um, uh, other districts. Now, do you think there's anything to be made of the fact that Trump obviously is from New York? These prosecutions are taking place, grand jury proceedings are in New York, and also the Senate Judiciary Chair is this, uh, you know, Nadler, um, or I guess he's in the House, uh, the, uh, an important, powerful member of the Judiciary Committee is in the Southern District of New York as well. I mean, it, 
is that, does that make it? No. No. The, the venue lies in New York because of Mr. Trump's financial interest in New York, because Mr. Cohen is a New York attorney, because many of the transactions involved uh, events that occurred in New York. What do you think the Mueller report says, if anything, about Cohen? Is he less relevant now? Uh, I, 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 from the letter I, I, I read from, from Attorney General Barr to the um, Congress, I, he didn't say much about Mr. Cohen, if anything, if I recall. I, 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 his relevance is um, pretty substantial. Uh, Why? Well, because he has infight information about the Trump organization, unrelated uh, to the uh, issue of Russian meddling and collusion. So, no, I don't think he's irrelevant. I think he's, uh, uh, his credibility may be challenged, given that he's a cooperating defendant. Um, but, uh, no, I think he's going to be uh, continue to be a witness for these prosecutors. Now, what do you think is the next thing, the next big battle, whether or not the report is released in full to the Congress or to the public? Do you, think, do you see that as being a big fight? Uh, you know, I hope not. I hope not, because I think that um, um, the regulations set a floor on uh, disclosure, and Mr. Barr has met that now with his brief summary. But it doesn't set a ceiling. And the, you know, one of the authors of the regulations is this uh, former Solicitor General of the United States. He's now a law professor, Neil Katyal. And he wrote an article to the Post, Washington Post last week that was very illuminating. He said, look, I wrote these regulations. We designed them in a way that permit disclosures, but they permit privacy protections as well. These are the disclosures around the special counsel's office yes. following the Jim Star? Yeah. Yes, and, and, and in subject to the, the, the criminal 6E rule that I just discussed with you, I think there's quite a bit in this report that Mr. Barr can make available to Congress. If Congress is not satisfied, they can litigate it. So um, I, I, I think we'll be seeing more disclosures. Um, I'm not convinced that the people who want Mr. Trump's hide are going to be happy with them, um, but um, as I said, this is not the end of Mr. Trump's legal problems. What do you think this, um, the, the summary that the Attorney General Barr has produced uh, does for him in the office? I mean, there was some controversy around the Attorney General Jeff Sessions. You know, he, he left, Barr was put in. Um, he, d does this elevate the Attorney General's office in any way or change uh, his public light? I don't think so. I, I've heard some of the criticisms that came out immediately after his brief report to Congress that he was violating his own precepts about transparency, et cetera. Uh, I, I think Barr has a, a, a pretty solid reputation as a lawyer and a prosecutor. I've got some confidence that he'll do the right thing. And remember, he's surrounded by career professionals there. We're going to counsel him. And um, uh, I think he knows uh, his way around that building, and I think he'll do all right. Now, what about the cost of this thing? Do you think that the report itself, or there's going to be any digging into how much this exercise cost? Because, I mean, when you look at just the description of the investigation, it just sounds like a, a, a real expensive endeavor. You know, I had the numbers when we spoke the last time, and it's, it's, it's you know, tens of millions of dollars. But look, when you're talking about the infiltration of our elections, of our democracy by a foreign power, is there really any bill we can't pay? We have to do this. And we had to get to the bottom of whether or not uh, there was any collusion between uh, participants in the election and Russia. 
that was essential. I mean, we, we, we weren't going to be able to pull the plug on that no matter what it cost. Some people in the punditry are saying that the, uh, the conclusion of the investigation and the issuance of the report and the, the findings um, demonstrate that the institutions in um, American jurisprudence and in our democracy are strong and can withhold the storm of Donald Trump. Do you agree, or do you think we're still in very serious and choppy water? I I. I Agree, and 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 I, I listened to David Ignatius. He's a uh, columnist for the Post, a very solid guy and a very moderate thinker. But he said, you know, people ought to be celebrating the fact that the rule of law is vindicated here. Okay, we have great divisions in this country, and we've had them before. I mean, at various times in our history. But when you look at it, the the, the bones of the republic are pretty strong, and they're solid. And um, this investigation occurred as it was supposed to of our chief executive. It was uh, returned to the public in accordance with law, and it will continue to be, as I've discussed with you. So I think it's, I'm not celebrating the fact that the Russians infiltrated our elections. I think it's a bad thing, but at least we know what's going on. And Mueller, to his credit, you know, served with the same dignity and um, uh, uh, good judgment that he used in the field and as a military officer. He's got a long history of service to his country, and I think he probably, uh, this could have been his crowning achievement. Well, and as a Democrat, I, I must say that I'm, I'm relieved that our president is not yet a criminal. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was not hoping that the president of the United States, as much as I abhor how he acts publicly in his tweets and some of the things he says and does, I definitely was not hoping that there would be a finding that he had colluded with the foreign government. So well, good I'm, for I'm, you, because yeah. as a Democrat, I can tell you I agree with you, okay? He, but first of all, let's remember, he's not out of the woods yet. There are other investigations there. And we've got our eyes on this administration, and the, the, the Congress does, the prosecutors do. Um, and if they do anything that is, it runs afoul of the law, they'll hear from us. Okay, so let me just ask you in like a couple of minutes we have left. These other prosecutions that are taking place, or the investigations, investigations yes, that's a very yes. important yes. distinction. The investigations that are taking place, do you think that they could lead to an indictment while the president is in office? Well, remember, the Department of Pol Justice policy is that a sitting president cannot be indicted, so right. no. But a policy is a policy, not a law, is that right? I mean, could, it could has one a of these. Law. It does? It very much does, because. Um, once uh, you establish such a policy, okay, the precedent uh, of it, it, it it's, it's guidance that the courts would follow. So let's just say the prosecutor, the very powerful prosecutor in New York, um, collects over the next year, whatever, substantial evidence and makes the prosecution, you know, prosecutorial decision that there's enough evidence to bring charges. Would he then just wait until the president is out of office and then bring the charge? Is that how it would work? Well, if you're talking about the state of New York prosecutor, yes. he's not subject to those rules. He could, oh, the state of New York. Uh, what the, yes, what the state of right. New York would do to a sitting with a sitting. Uh, no, I'm talking about the U, the, the, the case US that you were talking about. My, yeah, that would be referred back to the Department of Justice and very possibly subject to another special counsel. Um, I, I, it's un, you can't predict that. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's that was that's something to have to play out. But again, the Department of Justice is not going to prosecute a sitting president. It's going to fulfill its duties to ensure that he's not a, uh, above the law by referring information to a special counsel and then, if necessary, informing Congress so that it can take action in removing the president and convicting him before the Senate. 
Well, Themi Mina, thank you very much for joining me on my podcast. I hope to talk to you throughout uh, the, I think this is a fascinating um, demonstration of American democracy and the cross between the judiciary and politics. So um, hope to talk to you again. Thanks for having me.